Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Oh, wasn't that great? I tell you what, we have some of the best creative people in just the whole world. It's so awesome to see a a father and a daughter be able to share those moments together. Uh, We want to give it up for all the fathers again in the house today. Let's give it up for everybody. Yes, we're thankful to have you here with us. And, you know, before we do anything else, we want to go to our Heavenly Father and just ask him to uh, help the Holy Spirit help us. Uh, just minister the way that I know the Father wants to minister to each one of you. So before we do anything else at all, let's go to our Heavenly Father today. Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you, Father. You said that if any man minister, let him minister according to the ability that you give. If any man speak for you, let him speak as the oracle of God. And Father, that's our prayer today, is that while people may hear my voice with their ears, that they would hear your voice in their heart. Deal with them about specific examples in their own lives. Let this word be tailor-made and fit for their hearts. And Father, I just thank you for each and every one of the fathers who are with us today. We give you thanks for the men that are in our lives. And whether they're a spiritual father or a father figure or a grandfather or a father, we just thank you that you richly bless them in Jesus' name name, amen, and amen. Well, I know everyone here at our Lakeland campus wants to say hello and give it up for everyone at our Highland Colony campus. So can we say hello to everyone over there? Uh, We are so thankful to have you there at the 1130 service, and we just know God's going to speak to you. I know you had a great time in worship, uh, and we can't wait to open up the Word of God with you. But before we do that, can both campuses give it up for everyone who's watching around the world online? Yes, no matter where you're watching from. Uh, We want to say thank you for tuning in, and we're excited to have you here with us today. I've got something that's on my heart. Uh, It started out of the book of Luke, and so if you brought your Bibles, uh, let's open up to them this morning. We're going to look at the book of Luke, and we're going to look at chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse number 22, and if you didn't bring your Bibles, no worries, it will be on the screen. Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. Jesus is about to enter into a tough season of 40 days in fasting. Um, And it's not just 40 days of fasting, it's 40 days of strong temptation uh, where there's an enemy in his life trying to steal, kill, and destroy. How many of you know that life is not always rainbows, butterflies, and unicorns. (laughs) Like, no matter how much you pray, uh, even if you are the son of God, sometimes you're going to go through a rough season. You're going to go through a season where there is a manifold uh, set of temptations. And so God, being a, a good heavenly father, sees the season before Jesus is in it. And how many of you know God saw your season of temptation and struggle before you did? And the same thing he did for Jesus is the same thing he wants to do for you. He wants to equip you and empower you for that season. So before Jesus gets into this season, his heavenly father, and this is just such good teaching for any of us natural fathers, before he sees his child enter into a season, he wants to prepare him for the season. 
And so he sends the Holy Spirit, but not only does he send the Holy Spirit, he does something else. And this is what I want to look at today. It's found in the book of Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like unto a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. You are mine, and you are beloved by me, and in you I am very well pleased. Uh, a couple of months ago, I had a conversation with a pastor, uh, and his church is no longer in the earth today. And uh, I, I love this individual, and I, I came and I asked him, I, I said, what did you learn through all of this? And he began to open up. And one of the questions that I asked him was, the church that you came out of, do you feel like they could have done anything differently to help you win? And the reason why I asked that question is because I believe this church will be a sending church. I believe that uh, we will have more campuses than the campuses that we have right now. And out of that, we will send campus pastors to those campuses. I also believe that out of this church will come other churches, not named Word of Life or Campus Church, but will be planted uh, in this community and others. I believe missionaries will come out of this place that ultimately I believe my high calling in Christ Jesus is not just a pastor, but a minister to ministers uh, and to help them be what God has called them to be. Uh, and so I wanted to know if there was anything he thought his church uh, could have done differently. And he said yes. And he brought up this passage of scripture. And he said... God knew that Jesus was about to go through a very tough season. And I wasn't fully aware of what I would face in planning a church. And you see everything on Instagram, and it always looks amazing, <laughs> like all of those other types of things. But he said, I did not really fully uh, see all that I was about to wade into when I waded into that. And he said, I saw that God the Father did three things for Jesus here. And I wish those three things had been given to me. And I encourage you that when you send out people, that you do these three things. He said, God the Father, in this passage of Scripture, named, claimed, and blessed. He named Jesus. You are beloved and you are well-pleasing. He claimed Jesus, not only are you beloved and well-pleasing, but you are mine. And I believe in you, I love you, I am for you, and not only are you mine, I want to bless you, and I want to give you what you need for this next season. And it's interesting, even in blessing Jesus, with what he needed for the next season, it was not like a, a lunchbox with a, a bunch of snacks, because it's like you're going to be in a wilderness for 40 days, you're going to make sure that you have, you know, trail mix. I, you know, it wasn't that. It wasn't a possession. It was the gift of himself, that you will not be alone when you're in this tough season, that I will go with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
but I'm going to give you what you need to be successful in this next season. What you need, I will give it to you. I want to bless you. Named, claimed, and blessed. And I just thought that was so good. And I, I wrote it down and made a, a note of it that, you know, whenever we send people out, we need to name them. This is who you are. You are anointed. You are talented. You are determined. You are wise. Uh, that we need to claim them. Not only are you those things, but you are ours. <laughs> we love you and we are for you. And not only do we love you and we're for you, we want to bless you. What do you need to be successful? Here's a financial supply. Here's my presence that when you're going through these difficult times, you can call me. I am available to you. And I thought that that was just a note that I would make for whenever we send people out. But I kid you not. This got so big in my heart, and out of all the services I preached, it's bigger in my heart in this one than at any of the other ones. It's interesting. Uh, God knows who is in the room or who is watching. Um, and so out of this, I just had it so big in my heart that this was not just something that like a minister needed to be successful at pastoring a church. I think this is something that you need to be successful at life, that you need to be successful at marriage, that you need to be successful at fathering, that you need to be successful at mothering, that you need to be named, that your heart actually longs to be claimed. And that you need to be blessed. And for many of you, you've never had that. You've never had that. Uh, you've been named, but not with names of power. And instead of being claimed, maybe you have been forsaken. And instead of being blessed, maybe some of you have been starved by people in your life who should have named you, claimed you, and blessed you. And I feel like the Lord wants to heal that. Uh, it's fascinating, and I, I think through my meditations, I think it's just in our DNA that we name things. Have you noticed that? I think it comes from Adam. Adam's first assignment from God was to name things. Uh, so it's not just an it roaming around out there in the world, <laughs> but it's giraffe. Uh, it's cat, it's lion. And I think that that is ingrained in us far more than we know, that we have a tendency to label things. Who has labeled you? And what have they labeled you? Because all of us have been labeled. We, we demand labels. Uh, psychologically, we demand to be labeled. Um, in gender, as soon as someone gets pregnant, everyone wants to know the label. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Uh, what's the label? And then when you find out if it's a boy, they're like, well, what are you naming him? Because it's not just good enough to be boy. Uh, like, uh, we demand it be named father. Uh, and they take on our name even, uh, that are the names of the father and the names of the parents get, get on the child. They are labeled. Uh, I've been blessed with three children. 
I have Ava Reese Sims. She's my oldest, 15 years old. Like, I have no idea how this is happening. Uh, and then I, I have an, my son, uh, who's a Boston Tate Sims. He's 13. And then Benjamin Nathan Sims, uh, who is eight years old. All of them named. Uh, but not only are they named those names, they are named a bunch of others, too. They are named by others as creative, bold, smart. Uh, I try to name them worshipers. Uh, One of my favorite things as a parent is to see my children worship. Um, I don't remember worshiping quite like they worshiped at that age. It took me to be 18, 19, 20 years old uh, to come to that level where I was free in worship And so when I see my children worshiping, I don't just want to see it. I want to label them that. You are a worshiper. That's who you are. You want to know who you are? You are a worshiper. And you know what? They do want to know who they are. And so do you. Who am I? We've all been labeled. Some of us band geek. Uh, we've been labeled athlete. We've been labeled attractive, unattractive. We have been labeled in shape. We have been labeled out of shape. We have been labeled as hip. And we have been labeled as cool. And what's funny is cool changes. Uh, and so what used to be cool no longer has that label. Have you ever looked at pictures of like people in the 80s and like, what, what? What? Or or maybe it was in the, it's like, we wore that? Yes, and you thought you were cool. And the reason why is because someone took that outfit and attached a label to it. See, the world demands a pattern. It wants a pattern. And this is why the Bible says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Because the world will put out a pattern and say, if you do A, B, and C, you get labels. Light. Cool. Hip, lit, fire, emoji, whatever it may be. So we fight for labels. Because I want to know who I am. And it's very dangerous because most of the time when people label you, they always get it wrong. You are more than that. When Jesus came, he asked his disciples, he's like, what label do people give me? The people who know me, what label do they give me? And they said, well, some people say you're Elijah, born again. And that's a strong label, man. Elijah, woo, prophet. Jesus was more than that, though. But they they wanted to label him something that he was not to attach something to him that was not him. And if he had been Elijah, he would have been powerful. And if he would have been Elijah, we could have seen like amazing miracles. But if he was just Elijah, he never would have been able to redeem the world because that was not truly who he was. He was Jesus, the anointed one the son of the living God. And the world missed his label. The people around him wanted to label him king and make him like overthrow Caesar and overthrow Rome. Good label, yes. Correct, no. 
He had to withdraw himself from those people because here's the thing, if you don't withdraw yourself from people who are trying to label you wrong, that label will not just get on you, that label will get in you. And when that label gets in you, you will never, this is strong language, but it's truth, you will never rise above the labels that get in you. And if you ever want to break out of, of that, that level of living that you're at, at some point, you've got to stop identifying with the labels people gave you. Who labeled you? And what did they call you? This is why fathers are so important, and this is why Satan attacks fatherhood like he does. This is why, and you, you go, this is from the Department of Corrections, 86% of people who are in prison do not have a father. I didn't believe that because sometimes you see statistics and it's like, what? That's what? 86%? You go into the prisons and you ask them, how many of you had fathers? Raise your hand. And it's 0%. I've never been in a room where more than five of them raised their hands when I asked that question. And some of you involved in prison ministry know exactly what I'm talking about. Why, why does this happen? Because you have men and women when they're not labeled, they go out and try to find one. Or sometimes they grew up in a household where a label was given to them that was not just wrong, it was evil. Bad, crazy, undisciplined, lousy. And you know what each one of them did? They lived up to their labels. Because when a label gets on you, it's one thing. You can call Jesus whatever you want to call him. But if that label got in Jesus, it's a game changer. And when a label gets in us, and the way it gets in us is you hear it over and over again, you'll start believing you're not smart, you're not disciplined, and you're no good. And you're unfaithful, and you're undisciplined, and you're lazy, and you're a procrastinator because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And instead of naming you, he wants to shame you. And we live in a world that has taken on his image and likeness, and so it wants to shame everybody. You make one mistake, we'll shame you for that mistake, and we'll label you. And that's not an American thing or even a 21st century thing. Even in Scripture, we don't even know their names. We just know the woman caught in the act of adultery. That we know their label, not even their name. The man born blind. We know his infirmity, but we don't know his name. Someone attached a label. The man laid at the gate of Bethesda. Beggar is his label. We don't know his name, but we know his label. And this is at the core of Satan, is he will come and will try to shame you with a label. And, and make you identify with your weaknesses and make you identify with your mistakes and make you identify with who you're not and make you identify with your sins and your transgressions and your, your, your wounds and your flaws and your failures. And when the spirit that is in the world gets in the heart of men and women, we start doing the same thing, forgetting how powerful our words are. And we start taking those same labels and attaching them to people and attaching them to children and we become an accuser of the brethren. 
And I'm telling you, what this world needs is people who arise with the spirit of the living God in them and start calling some things that be not as though they were. That we come to the fatherless and say, you are not your past. You are not your wounds. You are not your infirmity. Let me tell you who you are, Abram. You are Abraham for a father of many nations. I have made you. And it took over a decade for that label to get in that man. But when it got in him, he rose to the label God gave him. We need some people who, instead of calling it like they see it with their kids, call things that be not as though they were and speak that label into those children until they believe they're smart and able and talented and anointed and a worshiper and a lover of Jesus and someone who will walk away from sin. We need to keep putting that label over them until that label gets in them. And when that label gets in them, they will produce that label. They will live up to the label. When Isaiah, the prophet, got before the Lord, he saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. First thing he was mindful of was his mouth. And he said, woe is me, my lips are unclean. And I live among a people with unclean lips. And you know what? God didn't say, no, it's fine. He sent an angel with a hot coal and touched his mouth. He said, who will go for me? Isaiah said, me. He had to touch his mouth first. Our words, what we call our people. My wife, when she got married to me, she got a new label, wife. She also got a new label, Sims. This is why a father is so important. The father and his family is how God calls us that we identify with his name. The father figure in a household is so important. The family takes on the father's label. She didn't just become Peppy, uh, she became Peppy Sims, my wife. My kids have my label, which is why the enemy attacks so hard men and fathers because of the image. We're not just made in our image and carry our DNA, but they carry our labels. And out of this, for, for me to understand that when I got married to, to my wife, her label changed as wife, but also her label changed by what I call her. And I thank God, like a man, I thank God that I had men in my life and women in my life who called me by what I could be and not as I was. Uh, I say this all the time, but it's the truth. The church, this church started to grow when I got married. And people laugh at that, but it's like, no, 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 I'm dead serious when I say that. And somebody says, well, what do you mean by that? Because she labels me more than what I am. My wife, I kid you not, she thinks I'm superhuman. I'm serious. I'm like, you got to tone down your expectations. But my wife thinks the world at me. And you know what? I saw this years ago, and a man whose life touched the world the thing that I most admired about him was the way his wife looked at him. And I noticed at the dinner table, when she glanced up at him, she saw something in him and she loved it. And, and the look was so filled with that, I could, I could feel it. And I'm not even the one she loved. But I could feel the love she had for him. And I got to wonder, I wonder if, what, if, if every man had that in his life. How different, not just men, but if, if a woman had a man like that, look at her that way, what it would do to her to be named. 
to be claimed, to be blessed, how different our marriages would be, how different our churches would be, how different our, our politicians would be, how different our children would be, that instead of shamed, forsaken, and starved, they were named, claimed, and blessed. Uh, my, my father passed away when I was 17, so Father's Day is always, a, you know, one of those days. Uh, for me, uh, and I often uh, turn it over into a period of thanksgiving uh, because does it hurt? Yeah, it does, but I, I know it's because I was loved, uh, and when you were loved, uh, it should hurt, but it makes me thankful because I, I know so many men who were never loved, and I went through a season of my life between 14 and, and 17 where I was getting very cold uh, to things, spiritual things. And I was always like on the surface a, a good kid, but I, I knew I was not who I could be. And I knew also my father and my mother could point out so many things that I was doing wrong and shame me with those things. Here's who you are. You are forgetful. You are not disciplined. You need to be better. They could have done that. But my father instead would do this. He would give me things like this. And this is a devotional that I, I read often. It's the original John G. Lake devotional. And my, my father wrote this to me. To my tender son, I, I told the, the 10 o'clock service, I used to not stand that. I'm like, why couldn't it be like my handsome son or like my strong son or like my son who will keep his hair for the rest of his life? Like, you know, something like prophetic uh, and powerful. Uh, but I've come to see um, that tender um, might just be the greatest strength any of us could, could ever exhibit. Uh, to my tender son, Joel... John G. Lake was one of God's choice servants. I believe you are too. I pray you catch this man's love and devotion to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he did. Always in my heart and prayers, I love you, dead. July 4th, 2000. Named Tender one of God's choice servants, claimed to my son. That did begin a fresh spiritual journey for me, calling those things that be not as though they were, pulling out the greatness that was in me and showing it to me. My wife does that on the regular. I can remember a great spiritual mentor of mine uh, sitting beside me, at a conference. And that alone was humbling because I knew there were tons of people who wanted to sit by him and fellowship with him. And he overlooked all of those people to come sit by me. And I'm like, what is going on? And, you know, fanboying and like all of these types of things. But I knew he loved my father and I knew he loved me. And not just one of those types of loves that gets liked on Instagram and like post and like, I'm for you. And then it's like tough time. And it's like, no, I'm not. Uh, but um, it was one of those like, no, like I could be doing anything, but I'm doing this and it's not a photo op and I have nothing to gain other than give you love. And he sat down by me 
And he said, Joel, I've been praying for you. And he said, I I want you to know that there will come a, a day where your ministry will outgrow mine. And I'm like, what? No. And he said, no, your, your ministry will outgrow mine. And he said, out of that, he said, don't, don't forget me. He's like, come sit down next to me. I never forgot that. Somebody to come alongside you. And not call it like they see it, but call it what they believe it could be. I am what I am because of the labels that got over me and now are in me. And the areas where I'm struggling in, I'll tell you flat out why I got a label there. Any area where there's strength, it's because you've been encouraged in that area. You're strong in it, you'll have people all the time tell you about that strength. You're so clean. You're such a good cook. You're so organized. You're such a good mom. You're so wise. You're so strong. And people think, well, they're strong there, and so that's why they get the encouragement. I would say the complete opposite. They get the encouragement there, and that's why they're strong there. Because whatever label you agree with, it grows. Good or bad. There was, I'll close with this. There was a man in scripture by the name of Jacob. Jacob, the label means deceiver and trickster. And out of this, this is the label he's been given uh, by his parents. Uh, He was a twin. Uh, and out of this, uh, sometimes twins can be naturally combative because they have a direct comparison, which almost any time we reach a point of conflict is because of comparison. Uh, and so sometimes that can be harder for twins because their comparison is direct. Same age, looks alike, all those types of things. Uh, so for Jacob, um, he has this, this going on in his life, but then he has a wound. And this is why I love scripture so much, because it's so real. And sometimes my concern, and I think we're seeing this more and more, is we see it in ministry where there are so many good preachers, but I'm telling you, authenticity will keep you safe. It is not all glitz and glamour and likes and like all this type of world that has look at me, work out, look at me. Like I'm t- there's, there's, some, there's some danger there. I'm telling you, like we, we have to come back and be servants. And, and out of this, um, like the Bible is so clear about flaws and, and issues with the, the people. And this is why I often teach out of my hurts and flaws because this is not a museum with perfect people. Uh, we don't always do this right. And the good news is, is neither did they, which gives me and you hope. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, so the Bible, it's very real and it's not fake and it shows you strength and struggle And in the life of this young man by the name of Jacob and his father, you see a wound come. Jacob never felt loved by his father, but Esau was. 
And this happens sometimes with kids. Jacob's daddy saw himself in Esau, and he was naturally there with it. And there was a strength there and a hunting there and a cunning there that just naturally kind of drew his father to Esau. And Jacob didn't, never felt like he belonged in his father's house. And so he feels like the only way I can ever get blessed, named and claimed by my father is to become Esau. So let me put on something that I'm not. And then my father will desire to bless me. And if I become who I think he wants me to be, even if it's not really me, then he'll notice me, then he'll fight for me, then he'll love me, and he'll bless me. And he does. He becomes somebody that he's not, and his father touches him, and he's like, is this Esau? And he reaches out and he blesses who he thinks is Esau because his son has become the very label he attached to him, a trickster and a deceiver. And he's living up to the label his daddy gave him. And he's not rising above that label that his daddy put on him. And his daddy is getting exactly what he called him. And this blessing comes on, on Jacob, who's dressed up as Esau. And all chaos breaks loose. It is a disaster. Esau wants to murder his brother for taking his blessing. Jacob is, is, is sitting here wondering what has happened, and he has to flee to go to Laban's house, and for decades, he lives the weight with his, uh, of his pain, the pain of a father who never really accepted him, and the pain of his own decisions that wrecked a family. And I, I love the story because Jacob wakes up one morning and he decides, I'm going back home. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to settle for this life of pain. I'm going to rectify the pain that I've caused. I'm going to bless Esau. I'm going back home. But before he goes back home, he knows he's broken. This man knows he's got issues. He knows it. And it's good when you know it. And he's like, I've been to Laban's house. He couldn't fix it. I've gotten married. It didn't fix it. I've had kids. That didn't fix it. I've got this wound. And I know the only way for me to, to change is to not get something else in my life. The new car is not going to fix it. Another kid's not going to fix it. Marriage is not going to fix it. I need to be named. I need to be claimed. I need to be blessed. So one night, he goes to God what his father was never able to give him. He comes to God and he says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not letting you go until you do something with this man. And God, I'm telling you, I will throw everything down at your feet, but I'm not getting up from off this place, and I'm not getting done with this wrestle until you do a work in me that leaves me changed. I will not let go until you bless me. And God said, all right, you ready? Are you ready? 
here's your blessing. Your whole life, you've been called this. Your daddy called you it. Your mama called you it. Your brothers called you it. Your friends called you it. You even called yourself this. And I'm telling you, you got it all wrong. Every one of you got it all wrong. You are not a deceiver. You are not a trickster. You want to know who you are? You are Israel. I'm changing your label. You are not your past. You are not your mistakes. You are not your sins. You are not your flaws. You are not your bad moments. You are not your bad decisions. I'm giving you a name. You're not just going to be a woman called an adult. I'm going to give you a name. You're not just going to be a man brought by far. I want to give you a name. I want to turn it around. I'll tell you who you are. You are mine and you are prince. You want to be blessed? I'll name you. You want to be blessed? I'll claim you. You want to be blessed? I'll make you wonder where your label came from and why you've been living underneath that label your whole life. You are not that label. You are a prince with God and a prince with man. That's who you are. I had a man text me, happy Father's Day, Dr. Fred Howard. Love Dr. Fred. And he texted me this scripture. He didn't know what I was preaching on, but it's Isaiah 43 and verse 1. They'll put it up on the screen. And the, it ends with, you are mine. And he said, I want to let you know you are mine, Pastor, and I love you. Happy Father's Day. And I got to reading that scripture this morning, and the revelation, he had no idea I was preaching on this. The revelation found in this, I'm like, only God. But now, thus saith the Lord that created you, O Jacob, and he that formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Let me ask you a question today. Who has the right to label you? Who has the right to label you? I'll tell you who has the right to label you. The one who manufactured you. The one who created you. Some of you, you've got labels all on your clothing. You've got the jump man. You've got the Nike swoosh. You've got the LV. You've got the labels on you. They put their labels on you, and some of you have the labels in your clothing. Like when you examine it, it's not a label on the outside, but it's a label. It's carrying around on the inside. Why? The manufacturer reserves the right to label it. And if you come and try to change what the manufacturer has done and put a Ford logo on a Toyota, a truck that Toyota made, you're going to get a lawsuit because they're going to tell you it's not mine. Uh, it's not yours. This is something I made. This is something I created. I reserve the right to label it. Who has the right to label something? Somebody that has redeemed something. This word redeems means to buy. It means to buy back, actually. It means it was bought by something else, but now I'm buying it back. Who has the right to name something? Whoever bought it. If I pay for it, I get to name it whatever I want to name it. I don't care what name it had before. If I buy a dog, you could call him Spot every day before that day. But if I want to call him Billy, guess what? He is Billy because I paid for him, I bought him, he is now mine. Who has the right to name something? Who has the right to name something? Whoever owns it. 
You own it, you get to call it whatever you want to call it. You want to call the chair Bobby Sue? You can call it whatever you want to call it. If you own it, you can call it whatever you want to call it. Who has the right to label you? I'll tell you who has the right to label you. The one who made you, the one who bought you, and the one who owns you. And I don't care who you were or what label you had before you were bought by the blood of Jesus. They could have called you drug addict. They could have called you adulteress. They could have called you sinner. They could have called you saint. They could have called you whatever they want to call you. But I'm telling you today, my guess is people have been calling you Jacob. And if you get around with God, he's going to call you Israel. And God says, I don't care if you've been Jacob. I bought you. I don't care if you've been Jacob. I own you. And I don't care if you've been Jacob before you were in your mother's womb. I attached the label to your name and called you a prophet to the nations before you ever breathed a breath on this earth. Why? I made you. I'm telling you, one of the biggest things you're going to have to learn to do in life is wrestle with God long enough until you get a new label. Is that you flat out dive into worship long enough and you tell God, I'm not letting the word go. I'm not letting worship go. I'm not letting church go. I'm not letting community go. I'm not letting go until you change my labels. That the labels that are in me get out of me. And the labels that you proclaim over me get in me. And I'm going to wrestle with you until you change my name. Freely receive a new label. Be, let God call you disciplined, gentle, peaceful, kind, faithful, loving, redeemed, forgiven, righteous, holy, in Christ. Let God give you a label. Freely receive it. But what you have freely received, freely give. Some of you wish you had men and women in your life who would grab you by your face, your worst moments, and tell you who you really are. Loved, able, good. And you miss that so much. And you miss it so much that your attention's been there. There have been other people in your life who want that same label from you. But until you heal that wound, you'll never give what you always wanted. And I want to encourage you, you got wives, you got husbands, you got fathers, you got mothers, you got children, you got friends. Each one of them you've labeled. What have you called them? What label have you put on them? And if we can slow down long enough to begin with intentionality, begin to call those things that be not as though they were, that we call Simon's Peter's until they believe it, and Saul's Paul's until they believe it, is it any wonder God would change the name of someone so often? You're not this, you're this, you're not this, you're this. Why? Because he knows that until you change someone's identity, they'll never reach their destiny. And you got champions around you, who are living like failures because they've never had anyone come alongside of them and pull the greatness out of them and show them, you're going to outgrow me. And what if we could give that to somebody? Be the change you want to see in the world. 
Stop cursing it. Shine a light. Grab your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your husbands. Look them in the eye. See them with the eyes of Jesus. And let deep call unto deep the greatness that is in them. Let's all bow our head, close our eyes today. Here at Highland Colony online, we'll all pray together. I'll throw it over to our campus pastors to close out service. But I want you to do something today. If you're sitting next to a husband, a son, a father, I want you to do something. Could you grab their hand or put your arm around them or hand on their leg, whatever it may be? And let's pray for the men in our lives today. Father, we come before you at all of our campuses all over the world. And Father, we just thank you for the men that you've placed in our lives. We bless our husbands. We bless our fathers. We bless our sons. We call you fruitful and mighty in the earth. We say you increase and multiply. You be the head and not the tail. You be above and not beneath. We call you good. We call you loved. We call you accepted. We call you strong. We call you a generation changer. We call you a chain breaker. We call you blessed. And we say, we are yours. We say you are loved. We say you are forgiven. We say you are precious. And Father, I thank you for these mighty men that, Father, you raise them up to be champions, that you take them from the, the pits all the way to the palace, that what you did for Joseph, you do for them, that they may have found themselves in situations that they never thought their lives would be. But, Father, I hear this so big in my heart, even prophetically, you're not finished yet. That even Joseph's journey took him 16 years from the time God gave him the dream until it was fulfilled. And in those 16 years, he went through a, a, a Potiphar's house where it was a mess, went through a prison where it was a mess. But God was not done with that man, and God is not done with you. Just as God took Joseph from Potiphar's house and took Joseph from the prison and set him in the palace, God can do and will do the same thing for you in Jesus' name. He will break off your past. He will restore your life. He will redeem you from hurt. He will restore your family. And where there was sadness and tears, there will be joy and laughter. And where there's disruption and heartache in families, there will be peace and sitting around the same table, that you will be a man who walks after God and establishes his covenant and sits back with a joy in your mouth and a laughter in your life because God came through for you, redeemed you, restored you, and called you by the name that he gave you. So forgive men and be free. Forgive yourself and forgive others and be free. Lay aside every weight and every sin that has so easily beset you in the past and run with patience the race that God has for you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for these mighty, amazing men. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we all give it up for the men one more time in our lives?